With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. It's not often that I restart a podcast, but for Charles Barkley, I'll start the whole world over. That's right, one of the 50 greatest players of all time, multiple Hall of Fame entries. You know him from the steam room. Charles is here, and he is bored as shit. And I don't know how you're handling it, because you love people, man. So how you doing? Well, it's just been weird uh, not doing anything. You know, I've been working out a lot, been playing golf, been practicing a lot, but that's pretty much it. And shout out to all the first responders out there, man. Uh, You know, normally unless you're a cop or a fireman, you know, you don't go to work and have a chance of risking your life. But with this COVID thing, it's been really scary. Shout out to all the teachers, too. That's a real job. And and you know what? I know a lot of these parents out there now realize that they got their badass kids at home with them doing this whole quarantine thing. I'm never going to say anything bad about teachers another day in my life. Uh, but other than that, man, I just miss sports a great deal. What's actually been the weirdest thing to me about this whole quarantine thing, you know, Adam, I, I, I don't even use the computer. So I had to learn the Zoom. Right. Uh, uh, I, I had to learn the Skype, Microsoft Teams. That's probably been the hardest thing. I want to give a shout out to my people at TNT. They've been on the phone with me for hours trying to teach me how to learn to uh, do any technology because, you know, I, I I don't do any social media and I really don't do any technology. I watched my first show on Netflix Stop. and uh, I did. I, I had never used Netflix before, but I watched, number one, the Aaron Hernandez thing mm. that was crazy. Then I made the mistake of watching the Tiger King and Little did I know I was going to show up on the Tiger King. Um, thanks, Shaq, for putting us on the Tiger King. Uh, but it's been interesting trying to learn how to do all this technological stuff. What is it like for you on Netflix when an episode ends and it pops up and it says, next episode in five, four? Do you let it go or do you grab the remote and stop it? Well, first of all, you know, I'm 57 years old. I, I got to go to the bathroom every 15 minutes. I'm pushing, I'm pushing pause as fast as I can get my hands on it. But I will tell you this, after I watched Hernandez thing and the Tiger King, man, I'm in love with billions. Um, yeah. so Did I was you just start it from the beginning? I'm on episode 10 on season one. So billions is one of those shows where the first two or three seasons are phenomenal. It burns so bright. Paul Giamatti is amazing. Uh, Axe, the dude that plays Axe, it's perfect. I am, I'll be honest, I watched the newest one last Sunday. I'm not even going to talk about it, but enjoy the first few seasons because it's so good. Oh, you know, I had, you know, because I'm, talk, I'm talking to all my friends. They're like, I said, guys, I'm, uh, there's no sports. I got to find something to watch. They're like, uh, Ozarks, um, yeah. Killing Eve, Killing Eve, and I said I need something like fun and tense. They're like, oh, you got to watch Billions and Paul Giamatti and Damian Lewis. Hey man, they are fantastic. Uh, you need so to check I'm out really, Succession I, on HBO. Uh, oh, oh no, I, oh, I've been watching Succession, uh, but it, it, I'm talking that was before the pandemic. I watched gotcha. uh, the first couple. Of Oh, I love Succession. Who is the Greg the Egg uh, in the NBA? <laughs> oh, that's a um. Oh, we consider him kind of like weird a little bit. He's so it's funny and he's innocent, but he has no idea what's going on, and he just wants to go up. I don't know. You don't have to give me that. I was only kidding. No, um, I don't mind that. Um, my, probably one of my favorite players. I'm gonna give him that uh, Russell Westbrook. Like he is, he's only thinking about when he's like watching this last dance thing. People say, 
Who's the player who reminds you the most of Michael Jordan? I says, who has a singular mindset, who just wants to win, that's Russell Westbrook. So he's, uh, and, and you know, he's quirky like Greg. You know, there's no telling what Russell, first of all, he's an amazing player. And he's probably my favorite player in the NBA. But you have no idea what he's going to wear from day to day. And he's only thinking about, I'm going forward. However I get there doesn't matter. So uh, I would say Russell. That's amazing. Is it true? Are you, are you now in the Basketball Hall of Fame four times as a player, a broadcaster, the dream team, and then you guys just went in with Inside the NBA? You're a four-time Hall of Famer? Um, so dream team, individually, and I think the TNT thing, is this is the first one, right? Oh, yeah. I guess I thought you were already – like, I could see, eh, you're right. I'm giving you, like, the Lifetime Achievement Award already. And I guess you have, so maybe three times. Yeah, you know, that, that's, that's, that's really kudos to everybody who, cause you know, me, Ernie, Shaq, and Kenny got the easiest jobs in the world. So it's really just kudos to everybody who work on the show. I mean, you know, Adam, you're sitting here doing this little podcast, and you got all these guys behind the scenes yep. who are yep. to do all the work. I mean, that, that, that's actually the best thing about being on TV or doing a podcast. Like, me and Ernie show up on our podcast one day a week, but all these guys behind the scenes are set up all the guests, and they, and they work hard, just like your podcast. You got Nick and David. They work their butt off pretty much every day, probably. And then you sit down and interview somebody like me, While your computer is lagging, I'm also going to shout out the other Nick and Mark and Gabe because you got to give them all up. Well, um, you know, you know, hey, how about this? So uh, we were doing this thing on NBA TV the other night, the reunion of the '90s. It was so how, good, Chuck. No, no, but this is how I sucked at Zoom. So I've only been doing Zoom like a um, uh, really like a month, maybe more. Cause we started doing the Steamcast, uh, the, the podcast, and so they taught me how to do Zoom. So I had no idea you can put multiple people on here until Sunday night. So they're telling me because I can only hear the person who's talking and who I'm talking to. And oh, they're you like, didn't have the thing clicked. So no, so they just and I'm saying like, and and I hear the other guys talking to like four guys at the same time, and I'm like. Guys, how the hell are y'all doing that, talking to four people? How can you see four people? Because I only see me and Adam. They're like, Chuck, you got to swipe. So now when I swipe, I can only see David and Nick. So that's why I didn't give your other boys no shout out. All right, do you see, you see me though, right? Oh, I see you for sure. Can you do, can you do this whole thing? With like backgrounds, Zoom backgrounds. Now see, now why you gonna embarrass me and make me seem like a dummy on your podcast? Like I got, like no, I do. I told you, Sunday night is the first time I learned to get multiple people on the screen. Amazing, you've come so far. I will say this: I've learned a lot by looking at people in the zooms and like, like on your um, inside NBA inside stuff reunion. You know, like some of those dot dudes have the camera down here and they're slouched over. You always look very professional and you have the glasses on. And I feel when I listen to you, man, I heard you on Dan Patrick and you're talking about exercising and God, I feel like you're one of the few people that have been like, I'm going to use this and create a really good routine for myself every day. I know you don't drink on, on weekdays. Well, you know, Adam, listen, number one, I love to drink. So when this thing started, you know, listen, first of all, anybody who, ha who has done nothing for the last two months wasted two months of their life. And that, that's not good. So I was saying to myself, dude, you cannot drink every day because, you know, it, it could, you could, by the time this thing is over, you'd be, first of all, you'd be 400 pounds, yeah. but you'd be, be a drunk. So I made a conscious effort. I got a group about, probably eight to 10 guys. We work out every morning. We play golf three days a week. We practice the other four days, but we work out twice a day. And we play golf three days a week and we practice because, 
you know, you got to do something, man, because this is a this is a long time to develop really bad habits. And I, that's the one thing I did not want to do because I kind of got a feeling or had a feeling. I said, man, even even though I'm on the record, I don't think we should play this year because I don't think it's safe. I don't know how they could make it safe. Right. And I, but I said, I know how much money is at stake. So when we come out of this thing, we're going to have to hit the ground running. And that's going to be interesting and scary at the same time. Yeah, I mean, there could be, you know, it could be like a week or two. And then it's like, hey, Chuck, guess what? We're going to play the playoffs. We're going to need you. That, that's another, it's all the other tentacles, you know. It is inside the NBA, go to the Western Conference. There's so many questions. And, and well, I know that you're someone that hates the word expert. Like every time I say the word, you say there's nobody that's an expert. What is it like for you to hear everybody just giving opinions right now in, in a world where nobody really knows the answer? Well, see, the thing that drives me crazy about our business, Adam, every fool, idiot, jackass in the world, not just for this, just throw stuff out there all the time. And, it, and nobody ever calls them when they're wrong. But if one guy gets it right, they're like, oh, he had it first. I'm like, well, if you're just going to get on TV and say stuff all the time, of course you're going to get one. Well, this guy's going to get traded. This guy's going to do this. Uh, we're going to start here. We're like, yeah, you can throw it out there. Listen, I, I want my players to be safe. Uh, I don't want any players to get sick. I don't want them to get their wife or girlfriend sick, or kid sick. You know, you see you got this thing in New York where kids are dying now. I think it would be catastrophic for the NBA or any sport if one of these guys got their wife or girlfriend sick and they died or one of their kids died, even their mom and dad or grandparents. And it's just, it, uh, to me, it's just the risk is not worth the reward because, you know, people say, well, they're going to stay in a hotel for two months. I'm like, wait, are the maids going to stay in the hotel for two months? I, I don't think the maids are going to stay in the hotel for two months. And I said, well, what about the guys who are at room service? The guys who, who do room service ain't going to stay in the hotel for two months. So to me, you know, it's just a scary proposition. Uh, it, and like I say, I don't care if we play or not, uh, because I'm, I'm actually more concerned about real people. You know, Adam, these real people out here are never going to recover from this pandemic. You know, all these people who work at restaurants, most of these restaurants are never going to recover, these small businesses. And even these restaurants, they got two problems that's going to keep going when this thing is over. Number one, people are not going to have money to go out and eat. But also, people are going to be scared to congregate. I mean, I know for myself, I'm not going to go rush out to a crowded restaurant right away. So I'm more concerned about those people. I mean, we're going to play basketball and baseball and hockey at some point. But most of my concern has been with, was, was has been with like the real people out there who are struggling financially. I um, I saw a meme that was making me laugh, which was if we want to beat coronavirus, somebody needs to tell Michael Jordan that it that it insulted him, and then he'll kill it. You know, it was it was interesting watching the uh, the Last Dance. It brought back some great memories, some bad memories. Uh, but, you know, it, it, it's interesting. And I ain't never going to say anything bad about LeBron James. Uh, in fairness, the guy said the closest to Michael I've ever seen was Kobe. And what I mean by that is a guy who has a singular vision, like, I just want to win. I'm not worried about what my teammates think. I'm not worried about what the coach think. I just want to win. And, you know, I think that we have to really be careful because, like, hey, yeah, Michael, in my, in my opinion, Michael is the GOAT, but Kobe is unbelievable. And LeBron, to me, I've always said he's closer to Magic Johnson than he is to Michael because LeBron's a great, great player, and he's a great man. Uh, he's a great player and a great man, and I ain't never going to say anything bad about him. But I hate that we can't just appreciate all these guys' greatness but it's been fun and interesting watching the last dance. I mean, because, uh, you know, as a guy who had known Michael for years, like, he just wants to win. He wasn't worried about politics. Uh, he had a singular vision, maybe to a fault at times, maybe to a fault at times. But 
I'm never going to get mad. And I, and I was using that analogy earlier about Russell Westbrook. Russell Brett Westbrook is a soldier who's a, an amazing player who goes 100 miles per hour every single day on that court. Does it get him in trouble at times? Yes, it does. But I most still respect him. Uh, but it's been, it's, it's, you know, I'm thinking about Dennis Rodman taking a vacation in the middle of the season. That was hilarious. That was hilarious and awesome at the same time. I mean, when and you, listen. When, to, when you watch, when you watch that, I'm always curious because I heard you on your podcast talking about with Tim Grover, the trainer, and saying, "I wish I got to work out with you more." Is there any part of you watching that that you thought, "I wish I got to play for Phil Jackson"? I just felt like that that must have been would have been an incredible experience. Well, Phil Jackson, uh, I got to play with him a couple times in All-Star game. It was pretty interesting because he gave me a compliment. He said, man, you're a pretty smart guy. And I said, what do you mean? He says, you got this triangle down. And I said, Phil, the triangle is a really good offense. You have to have smart players to do it. I said, but it's, all, it's, it's a combination of plays, Adam, and it's dictated by where the ball goes. You know, like normally you're like, hey, you go here, you go here, you go here. But with the triangle, if the ball goes here, you run one play. If it go here, you run a play. If it go here. So it's really three plays in one. But you got to have smart players. That might explain. Uh, no, that, that's, that's not going to come out good. So I won't say it. But you can see they had a lot of smart players <laughs> on the Bulls team. Uh, so you you enjoyed Phil because I feel like your energies like when I see him talking about you know Dennis Rodman is walking backwards like they say in certain Native American tribes I feel like your well, personality and his would have been fun. Well, I think that number one, I, I don't think I was crazy as Dennis. I'm not going to take a vacation in the middle of the season or just disappear in the middle of the playoffs to go do WWF. So I think he wanted that. Uh, I wouldn't have did those things, but. I think he just like took the well. Listen, let's let's get one thing straight. I think it's easy to take the reins off when you got Michael Jordan. Let's, we got to be realistic there. Like he let Dennis do his thing, but he had Michael. He had the uh, the ultimate weapon right at the end of, at at his disposal. So it, it looks great, and yeah. So to answer your question, it would have been good. Uh, it would have been good to play for a coach like Phil because he's one of the best to ever do it and have those relaxed rules. But also it's a nice thing on him to have the ultimate weapon at his disposal. I'm watching the final episode and I'm seeing Mike celebrate and he goes to his room and he's got a piano and he's hitting the notes and he's surrounded by what seems like a bunch of random dudes and like, I have seen you in this situation now a million times where you walk in and there is so many people and they're, they're all focused on you and they're just lobbing questions. And the one dude, he wins his six. There's been talk all year. This is going to be it. Phil's gone. And, and this random guy is going, you coming back, you coming back. What is Charles Barkley's advice for people hanging around really famous people? Because you have been in these situations a million times. Don't be annoying. Don't be annoying. That's the number one thing. Hey, just have fun, enjoy yourself, drink a little bit, smoke some stogies. But but clearly this guy's clearly if Michael answered that question before he got out of the room that night, it would have been breaking news. Michael Jordan says he's coming back. Right. So don't be don't be the one guy in the room trying to get the story. And and I remember Michael said, Yo, man, let's live in this moment. We just won our sixth championship. So, number one, don't be annoying. And, you know, the one thing you got to always know, Adam, is the people around you got to have your back. You can't have people around you who, number one, are going to spill your secrets. Uh, because that, to me, I was really concerned. Uh, you know, people asked me about the documentary after we got into it a little bit. They said, what's your biggest takeaway from it? I said, I'm concerned that people are going to see all the crap that goes on behind the scene in the NBA. You know, Adam, that's the reason we say, hey, man, what happened in the locker room stays in the locker room. Yeah. 
So what, what was really amazing about the Bulls documentary was you see all the teammates not getting along. You see the coach and the general manager, see the players and the general manager. And the thing that's scary, they won six championships. <laughs> Can you imagine how much bullshit goes on behind the scenes on teams that are not any good? That, there's a reason. There's a reason we always say, yo, man, do not talk about what's happening in the locker room. That's a perfect example. That team won six championships, and they got all this drama from player to player, from coach to coach, general manager, and they are winning. That, that to me, I said, man, I would hate for people to know what really goes on behind closed doors. I love the scene where MJ uh, knocks out the Pacers, and he sees Larry Bird, and he walks up, and he hugs, and he whispers in, fuck you, you bitch. And it's just, there was always that relationship between Michael and it felt like Magic and Larry, where they were like the older brothers and you guys had the dream team experience. But I was curious, what, what does MJ say about Dr. J? Because there was a gap between those two. You know, uh, great question. I don't really know or remember the answer, to be honest with you. Because, uh, because in fairness, Michael was always cordial to Dr. J. Because I played with Doc my first four years, and obviously me and right. Michael came came in together. But he was always cordial because Doc, the way he dressed and everything, is typical Michael. Doc always right. was dressed. Um, he was always uh, carried himself a great class. So, so Michael obviously learned some things from Doc, but I don't know the extent of their relationship. I heard some people online saying, because everybody loves the GOAT debate, but there is this new little rise of Kareem. Six titles, six MVPs, college championship, and he has the incredible off the court that a lot of people like to say about LeBron. Um, you know, what do you think about the, the Kareem in the GOAT discussion? Well, you know, I think there's a couple of things. How many of those people actually saw Kareem play? So they don't know anything. But if uh, Kareem uh, is the greatest college player ever, probably. And he's in the top one, two, or three, however you want to phrase it out, of greatest players ever. Mm. I mean, you can – and listen, the, the social stuff can never be uh, uh, undermined because he, he has been there from the beginning. And – it was interesting uh, doing the documentary when Michael, you know, you know, everybody expects when you do something wrong, you like come out like, hey, maybe I'll, I'll apologize. I thought it was interesting to say, hey, Michael said, hey, yo, man, that wasn't me. I just want to be the greatest basketball player ever. I was glad that he stuck to his guns because, you know, Adam, I, it's interesting. You know, that's been a criticism of Michael, you know, for a long time. And I'm saying to myself, wait a minute. I don't remember Magic Johnson. Um, you know, I don't remember Carl Malone. Uh, you know, I don't remember those guys making big political statements in their heyday. So I think the criticism is a little unfair. I mean, and you and I don't remember Kobe Bryant making political statements. So the trial came point out point. early on and said, "I'm not a role model." I, that had to be a conversation you guys had a lot being made. To, to have to represent more than just you? Well, for me, when, when I went to Nike with the role model commercial, I said, guys, I, you know, because, you know, we, the NBA, not NBA, but all players do a lot of speaking. And the one thing that I realized that for young black kids, when I was going to white schools, you know, I said, well, what do you guys want to do? They're like, we want to be doctors, lawyers, teachers, firemen, engineers, you know, things like that. And when I go to all these black schools, I said, what do you want to do? Every kid want to play sports. Mm. So I realized five or six years into my career that these black kids are brainwashed to think they can only be athletes and entertainers. I'm like, yo, man, you can be doctors, lawyers, engineers. You don't have to play sports to be entertainers. So when I went to Nike for this commercial, the first thing they said to me, hey, I said, guys, I want to make this commercial about the robot. They said, first of all, you're fucking nuts. And I said, no. I said, they said, you're going to get killed from the public perception. I said, first of all, I'm not worried about the public. I said, what's going to happen is we're going to create a great debate. 
because I'm really concerned that all these young black kids think they can only play sports and be entertainers. I want them to know they can be doctors, lawyers, teachers, firemen, policemen, engineers, anything like that. And they said, okay, we'll think about it. And they called me back. They said, hey, if you can handle the heat, we'll make the commercial. I said, dude, mm. I, grew up in, I, said, I grew up black in Alabama. I can handle heat. <laughs> and, I, and Adam, to this day, that's probably the thing I'm most proud of in my career. I have people come up to me all the time saying, thank you for making that commercial. You know, and the thing that was really funny, it, it became a joke in the NBA, like later in my career, they're like, you're the only guy in the world. This is how full of shit America is. You're the only guy in the world can tell kids to listen to their parents and people get mad. And, you know, we used to joke like that. And it's like, I said, yeah, that is the way to look at it. I'm the only guy in the history of the world to tell guys to listen to their parents. And I got shit for it. Hmm. It's, it's the, I always appreciate your honesty. And I think that's what everyone appreciates. And I would really need your honesty here. What is better? The Last Dance, the documentary, or Game of Zones? Oh, let me tell you something. I'm not kissing ass. I'm not kissing ass at uh, Turner. Oh, 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 I'm sorry. We can't say Turner anymore. Warner Media. Hey, uh, listen, uh, I'm not kissing ass. Cause, you know, the only, the, only, the only app I got is Bleacher Report. I'm going to say this. The, 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 the Game of Zones is one of the most incredible things. Me and Ernie cannot wait. And, you know, recently I've been watching some old ones, and I can't I, – I, I think my the, – the Toronto rapper one with – we just traded – come on, Lauren, we just traded King – we just traded Kamar and Jacob Poto. I mean, those things – or, but I'm more excited for Thursdays right now for the newest game of zones than I was for the last oh, dance on oh, Sundays. I'm being honest. Like, listen, I don't want to leave out the one with Jimmy Butler either. Uh, <laughs> the one it's with Jimmy so Butler, hey, it was so good. But those, the, the Mal, is the Malamar brothers, right? Yes. The Malamar brothers are fantastic. And, you know, I, I know a ton of work goes into each production, but if they could spit those things out faster, it would be even better because they are flat out awesome. And I tell you what would be really great, uh, Adam, if they actually ventured out and started doing other sports, it would go crazy, wouldn't it? I mean, if they start doing like, there's so much crazy stuff that happened in other sports. Like, I would love to see them do one on the Tom Brady Belichick divorce, can you imagine that? That would be like must see, must see zones. So must see zones. I will 100% tell them they're gonna love this. Uh, and also, they used to do some other ones like Sports Friends. They did one with like Wes Welker going from Brady to Manning. They have done sports. They'll love that. Are you are you cooking in quarantine, or does somebody cook for you? Oh, I'm not cooking, brother. No, no. I'm do just, do uh, you have a best dish? Like, if somebody, if you were in like a cooking competition, what would be your best dish? Oh, anything, anything chicken. I'm a chicken guy. Okay. Anything chicken. You know, I've been trying to eat out uh, at least two days a week because you know a lot of my restaurants are struggling. Yeah. Uh, and I really do you put in like huge orders. Yeah, yeah. That's awesome. I got a place here. I got a place here called Baby K's Kitchen. Uh, they got it, it's got great Cajun food. You would love it. And there's another Italian place that I love Italian called Pomos. So I've been trying to go to those places at least a couple of days a week. So I am. Uh, but like I say, man, I it's gonna be interesting when I'm feel comfortable to go out to a restaurant again. Uh, yes. I mean, cause yeah. I, I like I say, uh, I have no idea what I'm other damn people been. I listened so, um, to a, a, a podcast yesterday with some people very high up in the restaurant industry, and they were talking about how a lot of the restaurants are going to have to figure out ways to diversify their, their income, their revenue in terms of if, if you love baby K's, they need to come with like an at-home kit 
or some way that like you're not just making money off of Charles sitting there. It's also like, how can I get your food? It's it'll be interesting, man. Well, it's going to be very interesting because I think more people, like I say, we got to worry about people's financial situation. Like a lot of these people, are they going to have any money to go out and eat? I mean, obviously me and you, we're going to be able to eat. But I'm really concerned about like, yo, how many people are going to be able to just go out and eat dinner? Because a lot of people, when this pandemic is over, they're going to have to sit down and take a serious look at their financial situation. Uh, Because that's one thing me and my friends have been doing during this pandemic. Okay, guys. And I'm talking about, because not all my friends are rich and famous. I'm like, okay, how much money you got? How much money you think you got? And how, how long can that last? Because, you know, you got, you know, your bills, you know, they've done some stuff where they can't evict you and things like that. But the day this thing ends, all these people are going to be coming for their money. And, you know, I, so I, I really am concerned about those people. I'm curious. This is always just for perspective. If this was happening when you were a kid in Leeds, Alabama, what would this be? It would have like? been true. You know, man, my mom was a maid, uh, and I had, uh, well, two of my brothers have passed away. So I had, it would have been me, my mother, and grandmother, and we lived in the projects, which is another thing. You know, one of the things we got to figure out is how to help, because this this COVID has been really detrimental to the black community and the brown community. You know, we don't make up a large percentage of the country, but we make up over 50% of the COVID cases. So... Because number one, they can't practice social distancing. We lived in the projects. So I got a mom, grandmother, and three brothers. Ain't no social distancing. But also, my mom was a maid, so she had to go out and and clean people's houses. But the point I want to make is a lot of the people growing up poor, poor, uh, black and brown, they they have to go to work. So then they have to work in meat packing factories you know they have to work in supermarkets and things like that so they have to go to work so you know that's one of the things i try to keep in perspective man that's why i don't complain like somebody asked me the other day they said man are they still paying you i said i don't know and i don't care They're like what you don't want to get paid i said let me tell you something if me missing a couple of paychecks is a big deal at my life right now I'm shit out of luck anyway. I said, I'm not going to call my boss and say, yo, man, are y'all paying me? I said, dude, because the first thing I did, and I'm not pumping my to my own horn, excuse me. I said, how are we handling the TNT people behind the scenes? You did. That was the first call I made to the boss. I said, because I want to make sure, because, you know, Adam, I've been there for 19 years. It's a family. It's a family. You know, when you when we first hired you, when we did a little process, yo man, you're gonna love working here. And I love, and I'm saying I'm not saying it because I'm on your part, because I do. Everybody gets a lot. The thing <laughs> I gotta tell you this. And so TNT, the one thing I'll say about well TNT, I, I, I guess you know, see, sometimes I worry about saying TNT because you know they're so sensitive about the Warner Media thing. Uh, and I they they'll ask you on they'll pull you aside and says, hey, what do you think about this guy? And we'll look at him and say, we don't think about him. You know, because they're always trying to bring talent in to TNT and NBA TV. And they'll say, hey, what about this guy? And we'll all look at him and say, what do you think? We don't think about him. And we are a family. Uh, and I, I love working there. And I told you, man, we love having – that, 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 the, the, the first time we worked together, I'm like, yo, man, this is awesome. That's why I'm pissed you ain't going to work the golf match this weekend. Because it was like, and the thing is, I knew you were going to be good because you're sitting there, you got me, Sam Jackson, and then and you're like, hey, I'm good. And we just go for it. Then you got Pat Crazy-Ass Perez. And to be able to relax in that environment told me something about you. Because I have been around, been with guys before, and they're like, like, yo, man, say something. Relax. Well, this ain't, this ain't, we're not doing brain surgery. We're just talking about sports on television. And from the moment you came in, 
you're like, I'm with Sam Jackson and Charles Barkley, and I'm right at home. Then you got Pat Perez, who's, who's great. And you're like, hey, I can handle this. And that's when I knew you were going to be great. Wait, so when they asked you, you didn't say, oh, we don't think about him? Oh, no, these are players. Oh, okay, okay. I was, that was yeah, very nice, are, Charles. I appreciate you. Yeah, yeah, these are players. All right, well, if, if they ever ask, what do you think about Adam? Be like, he sucks. Uh, I'm done. Oh, no, I'm going to say, yo, no, we need to get him. We need to have him do more stuff. First of all, if I had known Ernie wasn't going to do this match this weekend, I would have said, no, we need Adam. Well, I am going to be doing on Bleacher Report the Capital One's The Match pregame show. So I'm going to be busy in New York. I'm going to get all quarantined up, glove, mask, and go into the office. You are going to be there. I know it's going to be Brian Anderson, Trevor Immelman, and it's going to be Tiger Woods and Peyton Manning. Wait, don't forget Justin Thomas now. Justin Thomas went to Alabama. Uh, from Louisville, yeah, well, I covered though. I covered Justin Thomas when he was playing high school golf. That's that's my wow. life. Who would you choose to lead your team in a two minute warning, Peyton Manning or Tom Brady, and why? Oh, Tom Brady, because he's the goat. See, that's no conversation, and that's who's the goat there. You know, I've been blessed to Michael and Tiger. And Tom Brady, they're the three best I've ever seen. Um, listen, for a guy to win six Super Bowls, being nine is crazy. crazy. You know, and football is totally different. When you're in a single elimination sport, that is crazy. You know, I mean, like, to be in nine Super Bowls, and actually, you think about this. His three losses are arguably three of the best games ever. The two Giants game and the Eagles game. Like, hell yeah. That was, this two could have, you know, he could have nine Super Bowls. I mean, you could look at it the other way when they call that stupid play in Seattle, could have went the other way. But the two, the, the, the two games he lost to the Giants, were amazing and then obviously my eagles uh that was a heck of a game this is by the way an incredible week for me i am interviewing you and brian dawkins i interviewed like incredible week for me in terms of my eagles philadelphia fandom well you did did did, did brian have you interviewed him already i already did yeah so uh you did you why you're kissing? You didn't tell him you were interviewing me, I because he would have told you. Because no, because he would have told you. I, I got a Brian uh, autograph, Brian Dawkins. He was my favorite Eagles player, so I got a signed autograph Brian Dawkins jersey. I love that guy. Uh, you know, and when I was there, we had the late great Jerome Brown, the late great Reggie White. A guy I played golf with out here in Arizona, Seth Jordan. We had Randall Cunningham. We had uh, Andre Waters, rest in peace. Uh, man, uh, wait, uh, Clyde Simmons. Yeah. Man, and my favorite coach of all time, Buddy Ryan. Buddy Ryan. I-, I love me some Buddy Ryan. You know, I never met his sons, Rob and Rex, but, and I've said, Buddy Ryan was my favorite coach in any sport, period. I love that. Uh, back to golf. Who will make more bogeys, Peyton or Tom? Well, it's going to be interesting. Uh, man, that's a great question. You know, because no matter how great you are, well, one, they got a huge advantage, though. The one thing that nobody's talking about, there's not going to be fans on the course. So that's a huge advantage for both of those guys. Because let me tell you, as a guy who plays in front of big crowds, once you knock the hell out of the first person, it's hard to take that club back, brother. Hey, I ain't lying. Once I tell people, once you hit you, like golf is fun until you hit your first person. And then after that, you're like, 
You're talking oh, like you a mean, dog. You mean, you so mean really, hitting the ball and the ball hitting somebody? Yes. Gotcha. Okay. Hey, hey, let me tell you something. Let me tell you something. That is one of the scariest things I've ever been through, trying to hitting somebody and trying to finish the round. I played in a bunch of pro-ams in my day. And let me tell you something. Once you knock the hell out of somebody, Adam, it is really hard to take that club back. Uh, so that's a really huge advantage for Tom and Peyton. I will probably say Peyton is going to make less bogeys because he's probably been prepared more. You know, Tom has been breaking into people's houses. And, um, you know, that's when you know you're the GOAT. Hey, that's when you know you're the GOAT. When you can just walk in somebody's house and they don't shoot your ass. That's when you know you're the GOAT. That, I mean, seriously. And it's not something you want to try out. It's something you find hey, out. It's not something you want to try. Because no matter where you are now, if you walk in a stranger's house, so you know everybody's got cameras everywhere. No, that's hey, that let me know that Tom Brady is to go. When you can just walk in a random stranger's house and they don't shoot you or throw something at you. That's when you know you're the GOAT. That's when you know you're the GOAT. Um, you've been saying one thing lately, and I want to question you on it. You've been telling people that when it comes to fame, you have never seen anybody more famous than MJ and Tiger, the way people react. What about Muhammad Ali? Where does he stand up with those two? Wow, that's, you know what? I, I probably, it, good point. But you got to understand something. I never experienced it with him other than the Olympics. I met him at, I mean, well, I met him many times. He lived out here in Arizona, but like, I never saw him in his heyday. It's, yeah, uh, but so even, that's even when he was old, I feel like I would see Muhammad Ali in a wheelchair and the seas would part. But you, you're saying in yeah, their but, prime. But, 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 you know, that was sentimental. Gotcha. I, I would have loved, see, Ali's my hero. He's my number one hero of all time. My number one hero of all time. Uh, and I love that man. But I'm just telling you, when Michael Jordan in his heyday, when he, when he played baseball out here, we went out a lot. Right, because he was uh, in Birmingham. He was, no, no. I went to see him in Birmingham, but he played in the fall league out here in Arizona. Oh, and wow. not going to lie, we went out every night, and it was crazy. And then I've been around Tiger when he was winning eight, nine, ten majors, and people – would absolutely lose their mind. So no disrespect to Ali, but when I've been around, and even when I, and I've been around Tom Brady, and it ain't the same. When people see Michael. Were you ever shocked, like, going out in Arizona during fall training, or spring training or whatever it was with Michael, and seeing him be able to play and practice the next day? Did that ever surprise you? No, he's playing baseball. Stop it, dude. Uh, hey, 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 first of all, listen, the guy was smoking cigars in the middle of the NBA damn season. You think he's worried about having a few drinks before a fall league baseball game? I mean, think about it. You know, you look at that old footage. I'd never, uh, you know, Michael and Amar Rashad got me hooked on cigars. But I never smoked during the season. Like, this guy smoking cigars in the middle of the season. That's crazy. Is it, did, I mean, was it genetic? It couldn't have all been mindset. Was it also like genetic? Like that he was able to do, run at that high of a speed all the time? Well, I'm so glad you said that because one of the things that I have said about people, the dude had a perfect body. Michael Jordan, Kobe Bryant had the perfect bodies. Mm. Like you got a guy, first of all, Michael's taller than me. He's, so to have a little more height than me, he is strong enough to handle guys a certain size, but he can outrun and outjump everybody else. You know, him and Kobe Bryant have had the two perfect bodies for two guards. 
I mean, both of them were 6'6". Six, six. They both were about 220-ish, but they were quick enough, fast enough, and strong enough. Uh, you know, not, not many players have that. Like, there's other big, strong guys, but they don't have the quickness, the explosiveness. Like, this dude won the slam dunk contest a couple times. Yeah. I mean, I mean, that's crazy. He won the slam dunk contest, but to be to have that perfect body, like I said, it was weird though, because Adam, we would take vacations together. A bunch of guys. And we yeah. played 36 yeah. holes, we played 36 holes a day. After the first two days, guys are like dragging ass. And Michael's was yo, man, we're gonna take a break today. He's like, okay, and he go play. This dude would never get tired. And I've told this story before. So we're playing in the uh, World uh, the Pan, no, Tournament of the Americas in Portland, Oregon. And we um, were playing Puerto Rico. So that morning, David Robinson, me, and Chuck Daly go play golf with Michael. We play 18 holes, and then we're like, hey, let's go get some rest. We got a game tonight. Michael's like, I'm going to play 18 more. I'm like, wow. damn. We got a game tonight. So then we go to the game, and we're sitting there. He's like, Charles, you got this guy. David, you got this guy. Scotty, you got this guy. And he said, Magic, you got this guy. He said, no, Chuck, I got him. And he said, Matt, Michael, he's the point guard. And Michael looks up and he says, I got him. He says some shit about me in the newspaper. And Michael guarded this guy like it was game seven. Yeah. And I'm thinking to myself, this dude's a machine. I mean, that's, that tells, like I say, that, that happened many times. I mean, like, you know, you saw in the documentary, he played, he played golf with Danny Ainge. He said, hey, tell DJ, I got a little something for him tomorrow. He scores six or three. I mean, the that's crazy. That you won, the fact that you won MVP and he was like, I have to kill Charles now. He won MVP. Yeah, I mean, that, but uh, first of all, I deserved it. Uh, you know, we had the best record in the NBA. And, but listen, I think that sometimes Michael says stuff for dramatic effect. Yeah. I don't think it – I think Michael just wanted to win the championship. Uh, uh, you know, I mean, I think he just wanted to win at all costs. Now, I, I have you know, to say – I have to interrupt you really quick. Because – Chuck, you still there? Yeah, I'm here. Okay. One of my favorite videos on the internet, I did not see it live, is you and Michael on Oprah. Where you surprised him wearing the full Jordan track suit when he was launching the first ever Jordan women's line. And the conversation, it's like it, Jordan is sitting there and he's so uncomfortable. Because you, when you start, you go, let me tell you something. This like fear comes over him because he wants to like control what he's going to talk about and no one knows what you're going to say. It's one of my favorite things to watch. And I'm curious, do you remember it? And, and what was it like for you? Well, Adam, I, I got to tell you something. I don't care if I'm in the room with anybody. I feel like I belong in the room. Yeah. I feel like I'm comfortable. Uh, so, so that's where I always come from. Like Michael Jordan's the greatest basketball player I've ever played against. But like when I'm in the room, he just Michael to me. Uh, and I've been around Magic. I've been around Bird. I'm like, yo, man, you guys ain't so much better than me. I feel like I belong here. I'm here. So when I went on Oprah, uh, Oprah called me and said, hey, I want you to surprise Michael. But you know, I think he got better at, at relaxing. You know, I, I do. I think he got better at relaxing. And I think, uh, you know, so I, so he know I'm never going to embarrass him or do of anything course. like that. But I think that he relaxed a little bit. I just thought it was so funny. It was just the, the whole show and, and you guys going up and back, man, it was cracking me up. It was just, it was just for me, it was just fun. Oprah's always been great to me. She's had me on a couple of times and I was released books. But when she called and asked me to surprise Michael, I, I'm just glad he got a chuckle out of it. But I like to make him squirm sometimes.
Uh, my last question for you, and again, you can check out uh, Charles this Sunday, Capital One's The Match. It is going to be on TNT. Hopefully this time your microphone is open for the entire time so they can hear all of the crap that you're going to talk because I'm sure you're going to be firing on all cylinders. Um, but I also want to learn something from this last one. I, I watch Ernie a lot because I don't think that there's been anyone that has done his job better than him. I just haven't seen it. I don't think anyone prepares better than him. I don't think anyone navigates better than him. And I also just think the kind of person he is, um, is just a better quality of person than a lot of people. And I'm curious, what do you think um, you've learned from him over these years working together? Well, I'll say this, Ernie makes you want to be a better person. Um, He's the nicest guy you're ever going to be around. That's just that's just stuff that you have to say. I mean, he's the nicest guy in the world. Yeah. But, man, nobody works harder. You know, Ernie shows up. Meshach and Kenny show up at 7.30 for an 8 o'clock show. Ernie's been there since noon. He knows everything. He puts the show together. He's with the producers all, all day long. But I just tell people, man – he make me want to be a better person. He's a nice man. You know, and people have seen the story of him adopting all these kids. It takes a special person to adopt kids, number one. But if you adopt some kids that have some, some uh, like Michael's in a wheelchair on a respirator 24-7 every day, I think he's probably lived 20 years longer than they thought he was going to live. You're a special person. And also his wife, Cheryl Ann. I mean, to, 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 oh, to, to what they've done for yeah, but what they've done for those kids, giving them a second chance at life, you, 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 uh, it's just an amazing thing. And I'm lucky. I'm lucky to work with Ernie. Awesome. We all are. I'm lucky to have you on the podcast. Charles Barkley, our sports uncle. Uh, I hope you find some stuff to do, and I hope I get to see you soon. And if it's the NBA playoffs, I'm looking forward to it, man. Thank you. Well, you know, hey, 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 Adam, I put you on a time limit today because I got a tea time. So I appreciate you sticking to my time limit, brother. Of course, of course. My pleasure, dude. Thank you, brother. Thank you.